Welcome back to the Send 938 Missions Podcast, a ministry of Baptist Missions designed to encourage, equip, and inspire the next generation of missionary servants and the churches who will send them. I am your host, Steve Anderson, Administrator for North American, Asian, and South Pacific Ministries with Baptist Missions. And uh, it's another cloudy, dreary winter day here in Cleveland, Ohio, and I am in the Global Ministry Center without a guest to interview for today's podcast, something I didn't think was going to become a regular occurrence, but uh, both of the new podcasts that we've published in this new year, this one and the first one in the new year, um, are proving to be something unexpected. We've had a little bit of trouble getting, uh, not that you need to know how the sausage is made here, but uh, we've had a little bit of trouble getting uh, schedules aligned with guests that we've invited to be on the show. There's been some sickness you can hear in my own voice today. I'm still dealing with a little bit of nasal congestion. It's that time of year where the kids are bringing home things from school that nobody wants, including viruses. And so um, I was reminded last night as I was sitting at my daughter's uh, high school basketball game, I was sitting next to one of our BMM MK, adult MKs, uh, Jerry Vandergrand. Jerry spent a portion of his childhood in the Central African Republic, his, his parents serving with CAR. And Jerry is, is, as long as I've known him, and that's been most of my life, he has been very sensitive to uh, both the needs of MKs, missionary kids, and to the the nature of sacrifice as he saw it firsthand in the generation of missionaries who served in Central Africa, both Central African Republic, Chad, in the case of today's episode, Congo, in the 1950s and 60s, an era where there was a lot of unrest, there was a lot of, of uprisings, coup d'etat, rebellion, um, there was influence from communist states in Central Africa at the time. Uh, and Jerry saw the kind of sacrifice that would result in, in lives being disrupted, families being evacuated, all of, all of their worldly possessions being looted and robbed and taken away from them. And, and Jerry reminded me last night that the 24th of January, which at the time of this recording is today, 24th of January is the 60th anniversary of the death of Irene Farrell, the one and to date only martyr in the BMM family. The first and only of the BMM missionary family to give her life in pursuit of the cause of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. There's a book that was written in the published in the 1980s by Polly Strong. It's called Burning Wicks, and it's the record of the history of Baptist missions from the early days of Haas's ministry before he founded BMM in 1920, all the way through at the time of publishing through the current period of time that was uh, was existent under the family and ministry of BMM in, in the 1980s. And the case of Irene Farrell's martyrdom took place in 1964. So we're looking this week at the 60-year anniversary, and I thought it would be appropriate to just read an excerpt from uh, that book, Burning Wicks, that highlights the events that surrounded Irene's death. In fact, in that chapter, there's more about what others were experiencing and enduring leading up to that than the actual occasion of describing what took place in the passing of, of Irene and the taking of her life. But uh, I want to read to you the, the account of a nation in uprising in the Congo from chapter 50 of Burning Wicks. The nationalistic spirit in the former Belgian Congo went wild in 1964. It broke loose in January with the horror of uncontrolled rebel activity. Missionaries had returned after 1959 and 60 uprisings, but 
settled once more into their work, believing that the calm had finally come. Primary schools and Bible schools were again carrying on their programs, and churches were growing. But on January 24th, with the swift unexpectedness of a tornado, rebels attacked on what became known as Black Friday. Terrorist uprisings broke loose in the Kuli province. The Junis are coming, people cried as they fled into hiding. The Junis, the youth in French, were coming to kill and burn. Students, teachers, nurses, hospitalized patients, everyone was fleeing for their life. August and Helen Eicher put a few blankets and foodstuff into their truck and started out toward the forest. Missionary Aviation Fellowship planes began to fly over, and the Eichers, BMM missionaries in the Congo, decided to return to the station and await rescue by air. The Juanis arrived about 9 o'clock that night. One, the executioner, as he called himself, dressed in a red robe and hat, presented himself to the Eichers. Mrs. Eicher served lemonade and jello, trying to humor the guests as they gave speeches about their intent are you afraid? one of them asked. No, the Eichers answered truthfully. By all accounts, the Lord had given them a real sense of peace and calm. The intruders demanded the mission truck, but instead a Portuguese man who was living with the Eichers offered them his truck. One of the groups struck idly at the piano keys, and Miss Eicher went over and began to play. Sweetly singing as she played along, I Surrender All. Miss Bremen, another BMM missionary, joined her. Together and they sang through two verses with guns at their backs and heads while the rebel African youth looted the house and loaded up the truck that they were taking. The next morning, another truckload arrived, and these men were armed with bows and lances. They asked for gas, motor oil, brake fluid, radio transmitter, a radio transmitter which the Ikers did not have. Sunday morning, a third group arrived with machetes and hammers and clubs and guns, and they quickly surrounded the house, and smashing windows entered from every side, forcing the missionaries out to where a savage multitude awaited them. The mob immediately took the missionaries' glasses. Mr. Eicher could scarcely see without his. They took their glasses, their watches, Mrs. Eicher's wedding ring, and Miss Bremen's hearing aid, which they thought was a radio, she later found laying in the sand outside of the house. They grasped Miss Eicher and Miss Bremen by the wrists and led them a short distance away, all the time saying, Today you will die. They tore off Mr. Eicher's shirt and forced him to kneel before them, repeatedly brandishing a huge sledgehammer and a knife, threatening to kill him. You had better pray for him, they told the women. The executioner stepped forward again. I butchered the three priests at Kalimbe, he proudly proclaimed. Do you know how we do it? We cut off the arms, the legs, the head, leaving only the body to put in the ground. Aren't you afraid? The Lord gave grace and peace to the missionaries. They heard glass breaking as furniture and household articles were smashed and thrown outside. Mr. Eicher was led to the dispensary, where they stored medicine and clinical supplies. They ripped off his shoes and clothing and hit him in the head with a hammer. If anyone among the rebels tried to be good to the missionaries, the others became all the more harsh. The missionaries felt they were alone, and in truth, at the moment, they were, humanly speaking. Some Congolese Christians joined the group of rebels. As they came close to the Eichers, they said, Don't be afraid. We'll protect you. <laughs> These believers grabbed blankets and typewriters and household articles along with the rest, but instead of taking them to trucks to be carried away, they hid them so that they could later return them to the Eichers. 
the Balaka people began to gather, pleaded for the Juanis to leave the missionaries alone. They proudly and loudly proclaimed, Mr. Iker is like our father. He came to help us. We don't want his blood spilled on our soil. Please leave. After a mock release and more torture and looting, the trucks and the terrorists left. There was no food left in the house, and another truck was heard approaching. The Ikers this time fled for the forest. A man from the Balaka tribe went before them, calling out, Follow me! They stumbled over trees and tall grass, all the while hearing trucks of Junis in the distance. They ran until they at last collapsed in the tall grass. The guide then gave them a little food and disappeared, encouraging them to wait here. The missionaries managed to enter the thick forest and rested for quite some time. Then they continued on until they came to a small footpath leading deeper into the forest. It wasn't long before a young boy came to them with four bananas on a plate covered with another. He also had three glasses and a pitcher in which they dipped water from the little stream that they had found. The untreated water quenched their thirst, and they trusted the Lord to keep them from getting sick. Strengthened, they continued on. They met one of their Congolese teachers in the forest. Startled to see them, he led them to a little hut. In their hideout, they heard the Missionary Aviation Fellowship planes again flying over, but there was nothing they could do to get their attention. Toward evening, the people brought them an old mattress and blankets. A terrible storm raged that night, and the Ikers would have been content in that moment if God had simply taken them home. All night, the noise of trucks continued as it seemed as if the forest was being overtaken by rebels. But volunteers, believers, stood guard. One of the Congolese brought them some ketub of scripture and told them to read from Psalm 102. Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. What an encouragement for them to hear. For five days they stayed hiding in the forest with the Congolese people caring for them. Five days they stayed hiding in the forest with the Congolese people caring for them. Someone brought them a French Bible. They read together from Second Chronicles 20, verse 15. Be not afraid or dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. On Saturday night, one week after their flight, they heard the Missionary Aviation Fellowship planes again flying over. They waved a sheet but were not sighted. The jungle was too thick. They had to find a different place to hide out. On Sunday, they again heard the plane, and this time Mr. Iker put a white dispensary shirt on the end of a stick, waving it over his head at what seemed to be a terrible risk, for the enemy as well as the MAF plane could spot them. But in the thick forest, they hoped they were protected. They fell to the ground, crying out, Lord, have you forgotten us? The Lord again gave them encouragement from the promises of his word, this time from Psalm 70 and 71. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. The Missionary Aviation Fellowship pilots had almost given up hope on finding the Ikers. They would make one last trip over the area. The pilot dropped notes in the Balaka village asking the people to lie on the ground if the Ikers were dead, but if they were alive, to simply walk in the direction where they were hiding. Circling back over the village, they saw the people walking towards the forest. This encouraged them to continue the search. That evening, once more, from the pages of his word, God gave the Ikers encouragement through Psalm 52, verse 11 and 12. 
Depart ye, depart, go out from thence, for you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your reward. Monday morning, the Ikers received written authorization from the leader of Juanice, permitting them to leave with protection, an unusual and unexpected turn of events. Carefully, they were led from the forest to a little clearing. A plane was heard overhead, but the missionaries were held back. Finally, when they were allowed to rush to the clearing, a note was dropped from the plane with a package of sandwiches saying, Dear Ikers, stay where you are in an open place where the helicopter can land. As soon as they had the sandwiches in hand, another Juanese truck approached, but the Ikers had been taken for shelter into the home of one of the Christians nearby. The Juanese entered the house, questioning them again, giving the owner of the house a hard time and putting his belongings outside to be stolen. Rebel sentries were left with them, But as the Ikers sat under a palm tree, many people from the village that had opposed them came with tears in their eyes. We were unkind to you, and you returned to us only kindness. We are sorry for the trouble that you are enduring. One man, who in their previous ministry had been particularly offensive, gave them a hundred francs, about fifty cents, to help them on their trip home. Soon, a, a big plane and three helicopters, followed by more planes, arrived in the area, and the missionaries ran to the open place where they were told to wait and were picked up by one of the helicopters. The villagers pushed them in, happy for their escape, and exposing in this moment their own lives to the danger of the Juanis in order to protect these missionaries. The Ikers had spent nine long days in hiding in the forest before the UN helicopter finally reached them on the afternoon of February 3rd. Their house storehouse, the guest house, the dispensary with all of its goods and medicine had all been bombed and looted. Everything had been taken. Upon reaching Kikwit, they found friends in a Christmas box from their home church. The box there contained everything they needed. Dresses, underwear, socks, shirts, toothbrush, everything. The material losses were bearable since 35 years of faithful preaching of the word in Congo left scores of Christians to carry on the light of the testimony of the gospel. On February 9th, August and Helen Eicher celebrated their 35th wedding anniversary in Leopoldville. While the Eichers celebrated God's provisions at Leopoldville, at Mangungu, the drama had been more tragic. Ruth Hagee and Irene Farrell had been attacked before dawn on Saturday morning, January 24th. When they opened the door to the terrace, they were immediately fired on. Irene was hit in the throat by an arrow, and Ruth was hit in the arm. Irene was killed almost instantly. Ruth struck down. But Ruth fell on top of Irene, and the terrorists, assuming that both were dead, went on to smash and loot the house completely. Ruth lay quietly until the assassins left, then somehow managed to crawl to the garage where Zacharias and other Christians from the village found her and took her to a hiding place. They cared for her until a UN helicopter came and took her out. It was a reminder to her of the truth of Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Her friend co-worker Irene lay dead, the first white woman to be killed in the rebellion, the first martyr of Baptist missions to shed blood on foreign soil. On February 12, 1964, the missionaries in Leopoldville 
held a memorial service for Irene. About 150 missionaries and friends attended and were blessed. Through his word, the Lord spoke to all of them at the service for this precious one whose life had been given for the cause of Christ. It was a time of terror and testing for all in Congo. The Juanis, as they were sometimes known, the youth, were under communist stimulation and started a sequence of events that culminated in the evacuation of all of Baptist Mission's missionaries in the new Republic of Congo. Betty, Betty Parks, who became Betty Teachout, Clarissa Barton, Angus and Emma Brower, Robert and Winifred Grings, Wyla Weekly, Ruth Hagee, John and Gloria Whitelaw, and August and Helen Eicher. Milton and Ruth Yost remained in Kinshasa to keep close contact on the situation and, and inform the mission of its development. Terrorism had struck. A communist takeover of the government was expected in Congo, but never materialized. And four months later, following the loss of Irene Farrell's life, missionaries began to return to their post within country. Within a short year, the work was again functioning to some extent. The martyrdom of Irene Farrell and the subsequent renewal of the work in the Congo is a reminder to us that the enemy may gain ground, but he'll never win the war. For that victory, that victory has already been settled in the courts of eternity. Grateful for you listening today. If you've appreciated what you've heard, we'd love to hear from you. You can always send us a note at send938 at bmm.org with any comments or questions about today's or any other episode of the Send 938 Missions podcast. And as always, no matter what streaming platform you're listening on today, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review to help others find this, the Send 938 Missions podcast, a ministry of Baptist Missions.